Marie, it is so nice to have you back. I hope you're feeling a little bit Thank better. Thank you. Yes, I am feeling much better. Thanks a lot. Good. I missed you yeah. last time. Um, while you were ill, did you get to sit in bed and read lots of books? Um, I, I actually do more listening to books now than reading because I find oh, I'm so busy. I can do something while I'm listening which I find helpful. Mm. But actually, even when I did my degree at university, and this was a long time ago, we did a novel a week, which I found difficult to keep up with because they were like three foot thick. They weren't just like little slim volumes. So I used to go to the library and get the um, audio recording, which in those days was on tape, no tapes. So there'd be about 10 (laughs) tapes for, you know, these really thick books. I always found that much, 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 much easier way of digesting than mm. actually reading, weirdly. I do like a good audio book, but um, I like a good book book as well, particularly in the back. Yeah, yeah. It's your own time you're wasting. Ramblings from Beyond the Classroom with Marie and Jodie. Um, Today, we're talking to Ian Ross, who's sharing his perspective on learning to read. Ian's been a teacher for 22 years and has also worked as a Twinkle Phonics trainer for nearly a full year. Um, So he's he's got a really good perspective on both teaching reading and learning reading. Welcome, Ian. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me. So tell us a little bit about your story. Um, How did you learn to read? Let's start there. Gosh, that's a, a really big one. Um, the only main thing I can really particularly remember is as a child on a typical Sunday night, a bit of school homework um, was uh, a tobacco tin and uh, have an empty tobacco tin. And I just I can see it now, picturing myself sitting on my um, mother's armchair, opening the tobacco tin. So getting a, a waft of, of stale smoke and then taking all these folded little bits of uh, card up with uh, with words on and uh, basically sifting through these words um, in order to uh, read them by sight. And it was just a basically a repetition method, really. Um, and then just every so often new word being added and uh, the previous ones looking more and more tattered uh, as I was going through them. Um, and that's really all I can remember in terms of the strategy that I was taught um, in order to support me to read. And uh, let me just say, for me, that never worked um, it really, really didn't work, uh, you know, I, I, and I think, you know, looking back on it now and, you know, and knowing what I do about, um, you know, teaching children to read is that I didn't have a very strong visual memory. Um, and I think that was the main principle back then uh, in terms of teaching children to read was uh, reading words by sight and just building up that vocabulary by sight. Um, but it really didn't work for me. I just don't think I had a strong enough memory at that moment in time in my life in order to hold on to all that required knowledge. Um, and it really didn't work for me. Hmm. So what do you imagine it's like when you get to secondary school and you can't read very well? Yeah, because so much is based around the need to read. Yeah. yeah. Having problems. I think, if, you know, if we start from the beginning in terms of having problems in my reading um, and identifying that there were issues, but still giving me more of the same, um, you know, I think that put up um, barriers for me in terms of, you know, my self-confidence uh, big time and I think you know my my teachers were getting frustrated with me as well because obviously this approach that you know worked for other children wasn't working for me so I do sense you know during the course of you know certainly through juniors um 
their frustration and sometimes you know their frustration taken out on me which also knocked my confidence big time um and then going into secondary and you know being aware of my own limitations because one you know being naturally aware myself but also two being told you know um that you know I was going out for these extra lessons and, you know, and things like that, which was more of the same. Uh, going into secondary school, being aware that, you know, I wasn't uh, at the right, at the same level as other children. Um, and I knew that I'd go into classes at the lower level, um, and which I did. And, you know, anytime, you know, as a secondary school uh, student being asked to read, you know, and I get it now. Um, you know, that just overriding fear of, you know, public humiliation, you know, I could just see myself in like literacy uh, in English lessons, um, being asked to read as you go around in the groups and just, you know, thinking, oh, my God, let's run out of time that it won't be me. Um, and it, yeah, it was just just feeling inferior, really. Um, and, and, and thinking back then, they didn't know either how to support me. They knew I had issues and I got more of the same. Um, and I can't say that started in year seven either. I can remember in year eight, I got a little bit more support, but it was just more of the same old uh, what had gone before. Um, so in terms of when you, you know, originally asked me, how do I, how did I learn to read? It's a bit of a wing and a prayer, really. <laughs> um, really was. I, I couldn't tell you now. Um, but yeah, I just, I just remember the feelings of uh, potential humiliation, uh, not understanding. Um, and again, that had come back from junior school, because I remember in year two, going up to juniors and being laughed at because I couldn't recite the letters of the alphabet. <laughs> you know, and I vividly remember that in the playground. And it's just, you know, all of that build and build and build over, you know, your experiences of school. And then you hit secondary school, which you know is kind of the, the penultimate experience that you're going to have. And it's going to, so much builds on that and you're you know you know that you're told that yet to feel that you're in that position uh is scary yeah it's scary it's scary was there a particular method that did help you in the end or i was trying to think about i, th I think you know as i've got old as i got older i think my visual memory did strengthen and I do think, you know, I'm a great believer now in in my line of teaching that um, repetition and overlearning is the key. And I think, you know, a lot of reading now that I do as an adult, I do think, you know, I mean, having learned phonics from teacher training, that opened as an as an adult on my own literacy skills as an adult. That was just a light bulb moment that, you know, for me as a, you know, I I, I came to it about 2021 uh, teacher training, and it was just a light bulb moment for me that I'd been missing this puzzle piece all of my life um and it just started to make sense and I used to get really frustrated when people say to me you know I mean not just reading because the reading and writing go hand in hand can't you my mum used to say to me can't you see the word in in your head and I couldn't see anything and yet she'd say to me can't you see the word in your head I just really couldn't see anything and then I used to get really frustrated when people say to me go and look in a dictionary <laughs> and you know that will work if you know what the word looks like, but you know, what about those really ambiguous ones that, you know, don't sound like they spell or, you know, have two letters that are, you know, well, you know, I'm trying, it, it just didn't work. And I used to get frustrated in that as well. Um, so I think repetition worked really well for me in the end. And I think, you know, a lot of what I read now as an adult, and it's not reading for pleasure, the more academic side of things, I read a lot more now. Um, you get those familiarity words that come up that you've seen before and you know what they mean. 
Um, so I think that helped a lot. Other than that, I really couldn't tell you. I just think it's repetition. I was just thinking, how did your experience shape the way that you teach? Because, you know, you just got more and more of the same when it was obvious that wasn't working. No one thought, let's try something different. So I wondered how that influenced you as a teacher. Um, big time in terms of, you know, uh, when um, I I can't put my hand on my heart and say, you know, I went into primary education in terms of, you know, the confidence with deliberate literacy and numeracy. Uh, you know, I, I did as much as I could um, in terms of upskilling myself. Um, and I did a lot. But, you know, I, I'm a very creative person. I, you know, I wanted to go in for, you know, the DT and the R and just the creative side. And, you know, and, you know, I, I started teach training and coming into it when the primary uh, uh, literacy and numeracy hours really kicked off. Um, and, you know, let's face it, you know, when they kicked off, they kicked off big time. It squished a lot of those more creative things and, you know, all the things that I went to out the window a little bit. But, you know, as time went on and as I saw this light bulb, myself with phonics um i thought gosh you know as an early 20 year old the window of opportunity it gave to me not only the ability to to read more confidently but you know building that confidence in my own ability i just thought you know if i have that at four and five i you know i might have been a different person and i you know i'm i'm not shy about it anymore i've suffered with mental um illness over the over the years and i really don't believe that that helped my cause in any stretch you know either um you know unfortunately it does for my family but I think you know those experiences about you know dealing with those challenges also added to that so you know I went into teaching and I've predominantly in my 22 years taught EYFS um and year one a little bit of key stage a little bit of um, year two but not really stage two because I wanted, I want to lay those solid foundations. Because I know, as again, as an adult, you know, as you're building that wall, if you miss a brick there and miss a brick there and miss a brick there and keep building still, it's so much harder to go back and fill those gaps. Um, and, you know, I didn't want that for a child. And I've never wanted that for a child. So, you know, phonics, I'm the biggest or one of the biggest champions for phonics because it opened my eyes to a new world uh, uh, in my early 20s. I can only imagine when I see it, what it does for a four and five year old for the first time. And I've never got, you know, bored or delighted by seeing that when, you know, those children read those small words for the very first time um, and build that confidence. You know, it's, it's wonderful. So my nephew has just started school and he's just started phonics at school. Uh, and he is at the minute doing s and, um, which he very proudly told me at the weekend that we're learning about s and and I was like, okay, I've very little knowledge about phonics because I've been a maths teacher. I didn't learn through phonics. I learned the phonetic alphabet and stuff. So what little I do know is just picked up through kind of generally being a teacher. His The way that he's learning is he's learning what a book is and he's written a story. It's just random scribbles on a bit of paper, but it's a story. Tell us a little bit more about phonics. What does phonics look like in early years foundation for those like me who have no idea? Well, you're right. It's, you know, it's the basic in foundation. Children uh, learn the basic phonological code. Um, so that's realising, uh, you know, every letter sound or, uh, or phoneme makes a sound and that sometimes they can come together to make a digraph, which is a unit of sound as well as a trigraph is a unit of sound. And it's a very explicit scaffolded system in order to teach children to read and to write 
um, but let's focus a little bit more on reading. So it's, it is like a puzzle, you know, and I think, you know, for me, it looks like a, a completed puzzle in your head when all those pieces come together. And it's my role to introduce those pieces sequentially and at the right time in order to complete that puzzle. Um, so, for example, you know, classically, when children go into reception, they uh, are taught SATPIN, um, S-A-T-P-I-N, um, and letter names are not introduced until, with the Twinkle Phonics Scheme, until about our programme, until about level three, because, you know, it's it's the sound knowledge that I need to acquire first. But even by knowing SATPIN, children can read very simple, small two-letter words or three-letter words. So you can start that process straight away and build that confidence already. Um and then, you know, once they can blend for themselves, you know, it's developing um, more of those uh, uh, gra uh, graphene phoneme correspondence. Um, and it's uh, giving them the opportunity to also uh, learn what we call common exception words, which are tricky words, which are words at that moment in time that a children a child is at in a particular level that are phonetically decodable, but will appear in lots of texts that they will encounter. So it's really important that they do know those words. But as they go through to key stage one, then they're building on that basic phonological code and then developing the advanced phonological code. But the end, you know, the, the ultimate goal by the end of key stage one, you end up with a child who fundamentally has a love of reading. And that's the most important thing. Um, but also, you know, has, you know, around 90 words per minute, you know, developing prosody so that, you know, when they are reading, that they are comprehending, most importantly, what they are reading um, and can go away and learn about volcanoes for themselves or dinosaurs for themselves. You know, it just gives them a, a, a wider, such a wider opportunity. Um, but also, you know, as well as uh, phonics, I'm a real big advocate of um explicitly teaching vocabulary i mean you know in my 22 years starting a a topic or a theme whether it's you know even within numeracy you know when you introduce an addition you will say to them oh in this unit of work we're using the words that word etc but for me it's really important that you add meat and substance to those words and and explicitly teach them what they are because you know again experience that is held with me is you know I think it was either latter it was latter senior school or early in college the word concept my lecturer or teacher kept on using the word concept all of the time and I didn't know what it meant I really didn't know what it meant I'd never encountered it before I'd never I you know but all the time thinking what's she referring to this word concept and it basically is another form for idea now if I'd been told that you know we're gonna you know very early on it would have made so much more sense to me and it wouldn't have you know brought up those dreaded feelings of oh my gosh I don't understand you know what's going on here um so I'm a real you know because unfortunately in education now and it, it's a primary and it's definitely as well you can't make any assumptions anymore in terms of the vocabulary that children will come to you with in you know children coming into reception for example you know, I can't guarantee they know the difference between wet and dry, dry and dark, you know, and, you know, we could years and years ago make those assumptions, but we can't anymore. And it's, you know, you can't even, I was thinking about this earlier as well, you know, even in science, make the assumption, you know, bef before you move on that uh, children know what photosynthesis is. I think you need to go back and you need to, you know, children will come to you with a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience. You need to hook that out of their long term memory. So bring it to the forefront of their mind. 
so that then you can build upon that. So it's got that scaffold of something that they know already. And I'm a real uh, passionate, you know, advocate of that, that you're building on, you know, whatever year group you are. But, you know, secondary school teachers, children coming into year seven, wow, my goodness, they will have such a wealth of knowledge and experience. Use that to your advantage, you know, tease out that, you know, early key stage two knowledge, then to build upon things. Um, yeah, I'm just such a big advocate of that. That's a really good point, Ian, because... Um, of course, Ofsted and the reading framework are now saying that phonics needs to be taught in Key Stage 3, which is something that traditionally Key Stage 3 teachers have never done. And my big worry about that as an ex-English teacher is that um, how will it damage the confidence of these pupils coming in, knowing that they, in inverted commas, should know this stuff and they don't and they're having to do it again. I uh, just wondered what your thoughts were on that. I think it's something I'm quite excited about um, in terms of, you know, I think in order to, to reap the, the, the huge benefits that could be reached, I think there needs to be a lot put into place before we get to that point. Um, and it's not necessarily so much what the curriculum is going to look like for our for our students because I think there's a lot of research now there's a lot of uh, programs that you know can be used in order to build a real clear scaffold of what that program will consist of but my fear is um, subject knowledge of of members of staff um, you know and no fault of their own uh, within the key stage two sector Um, not only those who might you know be supporting those children who still need phonics but you know we've we've been training for several uh, for several through schools so you know from you know key stage one all the way to, through to secondary but i think to start off with those who are going to deliver a supportive program of phonics to students will need to make sure that they have secure fu- uh, subject knowledge for themselves um you know that's going to be uh, fundamental um and i think you know ensuring that those who are delivering that to start with have got that and they and you know, collectively, you know, my journey of phonics hasn't been one solely on my own. It's about people coming together and and sharing their experiences, sharing that knowledge and what it actually looks like for for them in terms of delivering it. Um, But it's also once securely that and you've got that network of, of, you know, of uh, staff that feel confident that disseminating that across the whole school in terms of, you know, because let's face it, it's going to be sessions whether it's done in English lessons or children have time away from the classroom for it to be be delivered. But regardless of what subject they're going to be in, they still need to be supported. You know, so it, it, it is important for everyone to have that and, and to have members of staff knowing who who is getting that support within their classes, whether it's design and technology or art and design, etc. Because, you know, they will need that support within their subject. Yeah, I agree with you there. What's on your mind? Let us know your thoughts, ideas and anecdotes. Drop us a line at beyondmailbag at twinkle.co.uk. So I remember, so I, I could read. Um, I learned to read before I went to school, which I think genuinely helped me quite a lot that I just learned to read organically from my parents and my elder siblings. Um, but I do remember kind of struggling with specifically like technical words in science in particular because it was quite often from latin or greek or other kind of less intuitive words and i'd come across words just have no idea and i remember feeling quite patronized 
being told to look it up in a dictionary, which never helped because it would start with like a silent P. Um, how do you make sure that those kids, those young people, they're not patronised and that we're not going back to I sat on a mat and stuff like that? So we're making sure that we're still accepting that they've got lots of intelligence and lots of skills while also supporting them with this area of weakness. I mean, I can really resonate that. And I and I still say it now, I, I think as a person, I consider myself with a lot of common sense, but I don't particularly even now consider myself with a particularly high IQ. And I say, and I say, and I say that quite often. And, and, and I'm, I'm fine by it. I'm fine by it. But I always do add that. I do say, you know, I've got a lot of common sense, but I don't think I've got a particularly high IQ. I, you know, I, I, it's just something I feel. So I do really resonate with that. And I think, you know, when these, you know, I think we've got to be very cautious that, you know, the reading, the dated reading framework came out in July um, from a previous one that was produced a couple of years prior um, with a heavier focus on, you know, supporting uh, children at key stage two who might still have gaps in their phonic knowledge. And I praise that, you know, I praise that recommendation. I really, really do. But like you say, you know, I think we've got to be really careful in terms of when we're putting, when people are putting programmes together, that it reflects the audience that it needs to reflect. So, for example, I'll give you a little bit of context in terms of um, the Twinkle Phonics programme. So we have uh, something called Co-Breakers, which is a key stage two intervention. And it's specifically aimed and uh, written for key stage two. So it follows the same, uh, the pace, the same pace and the same con- well, no, the same content as the key stage one version. The pace is actually a lot quicker because this is an intervention. We need to close close the gap as quick as we can. So therefore, it is shortened. Um, but it takes on the uh, theme of spies. So um, you know, so the character, the main characters are spies, and the whole. Um, work around it is based around spies and I think you know that's a really good hook for older pupils and and the resources that are produced are uh, are the same kind of supportive resources but the imagery is a lot more mature um, and the and the content that is coming through in terms of the supportive reading texts that are decodable to go alongside code breakers are also in terms of the imagery and the content reflective of the fact that it's supporting older pupils and I think that's really important that as programs are being developed that that is reflective Uh, because you know again I you know I can you know I can relate to that you know no one wants to read Janet and John (laughs) again for the umpteenth time Um, you know and especially when you've got no association your life's moved on since Janet and John Um, and I think you know it's also about you know seeing yourself within the text that you're reading that, that are decodable um and match your decoding level because you know you are getting older and you know there's so much influencing you as a character um, and as a person and you need to see that in the in the books that you uh, you know in the material that you're reading and I think again going back to the kind of text that I read or I couldn't read uh, you know (laughs) the pictures went (laughs) you know which was really awful um and I had no hooks then uh to to support me so you know when I was reading things and you know and books are wonderful at uh, uh, developing imagery within your own mind well I couldn't understand what I was reading so I could develop that imagery so you know I couldn't see myself or other people let alone myself in text because I couldn't develop that imagery so I think you know it's making sure as you say that you know they're not patronising, that they are reflective of a child's phonic decodable skills at that level, but they are relatable, really relatable. 
this has been genuinely fascinating. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Ian. Um, I think it's given me a better idea of how phonics work, which, yeah, it, it's something I'm interested in, but quite ignorant of. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. I've, you know, I've really appreciated the opportunity to, you know, not only reflect on my story, but, you know, I am a, a really big champion for phonics. And, uh, you know, it is an exciting journey that we are we are going to make, but we need to make it together. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. That means a lot. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been genuinely fascinating. I'm going to go go off and learn all about and and other phonics. Um, don't forget, if you want to hear more like this, to like and follow. And then, of course, subscribe on the platform of choice. And if you want to be part of the conversation, what do you do? Email in to <laughs> beyondmailbag at twinkle.co.uk. And remember, um, that's twinkle with no E. How does that work with phonics then? <laughs> Don't even go there. <laughs>